So we had a cold open, but then it turned into a six-minute rant about workplace safety. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to another episode of Midlight Crisis, a real podcast hosted by three grown-up biologists revisiting books for our teens, and it's totally cool. I am Sophie one of your hosts. But today I have a randomly generated fantasy name that you can call me instead or immediately forget about, whichever you prefer. <laughs> um, fine with this. It's uh, a good one. Uh, my name today is Wilbert Mecha Sucker. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a good thing that you're the fan of parasites because at least that's where my head went first <laughs> yeah like a giant you know those fish that are called suckers i'm one of those yeah but you're mecca but i'm but like a mecca. robot yeah and your name is wilbert <laughs> it's so funny because like wilbert is a name but yeah. this one is spelled w-i-l-l-b-e-r-t and so it just yeah. looks very funny not quite it's not oh wait the real name is wilbur that i'm thinking of yeah <laughs> so it's yeah wilbert that's <laughs> dr mecca sucker to you <laughs> oh my god uh Anyway, who are you guys? Well, my name's Sam, and on par with everything, I can't pronounce my own name again, but today, <laughs> my name is Kathlil Fish Doctor. Wow! Oh, yeah, yeah I don't know one. if I said the first name right. The The last name's pretty obvious, I can't screw that up, but Kathlil? <laughs> K-A-T-H-F-L-E. Kathlil. 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 Oh, gosh, it's almost <laughs> like these names are randomly generated. There's so many consonants. <laughs> that would be the worst wordle. Oh my god, right? I literally just thought about how I didn't get the wordle today because there was too many vowels. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, um, I was not happy with myself. Oh, Anyways, yes. Hannah, who are you? Me. Well, I'm Hannah. But for today, you can call me by my randomly generated fantasy name, which is Royal Elven Ringer. Whoa! <laughs> fantasy as hell. That's Are you sure real that's fantasy. a name and not your title? Yeah. <laughs> like your job? Listen, it can be both. Okay. Yeah, true. <laughs> Man, there's definitely a fantasy book out there where someone's name is Royal. Like, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This one has two L's on the end. Oh, yeah. Even more. <laughs> oh, They'd even be like, more. Oh, his name's Roy, which is short for Royal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For yeah. Sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to write it down just in case. No one's taken it yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All great names. Yeah. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Well, now that we're done with that, <laughs> how about uh, we talk about... The two chapters we read this week, which are from Aragon, chapters thir- 29 and 30. I'm still keeping track. Wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I am too. I gave up after chapter three. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Sam, do you want to go, baby? <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> I I do. I do. I just zoned out. I can see the St. John's Harbor, like, from my bedroom window, and I was just, like, staring out at it. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Listen, I could keep talking. I mean, it's annoying that this book doesn't have numbered chapters. No, it's fine. I keep talking the chapters too. So chapter 29, a costly mistake. I apologize. A lot happened in this chapter. So um, let's just like get to it. So our companions depart Tiram and head back on the road. After a brief ride on Sephira, Aragon meets up with Brom again and confronts him with a number of details, including the strange coincidence as to why Brom was in Carvajal at the same time Aragon was when he found Sephira's egg. And a whole bunch of other things that Aragon eavesdropped in the last few chapters. We then find out some much needed details on what the heck is going on in this story. Turns out the Varden and the Empire at war. Do I know who the Varden are? No, couldn't tell. You can't remember anything. <laughs> But basically, the Empire and the Varden are fighting 
for control of the next generation of dragon riders. Um, and Aragon is the first one in a long time. Then we find out that there are in fact three dragon eggs left and Saphir's egg was stolen from Galbatorix. And then we got a bunch of info dump on how Braum and Jode and his whole role in stealing Saphira. And then after all of that, they are attacked by Urgles, where we find out their leader wants to talk to Aragon. Aragon is hurt. Saphira tears an Urgle in two and then takes <laughs> Aragon to the sky where he passes out or falls asleep or, you know, just like whatever. He passes out into the next chapter. <laughs> Whew, that was a lot. He passes out into the next chapter. It's <laughs> really good. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> In the next chapter, Vision of Perfection, Aragon wakes up after two days in a magic hangover and in a splint and finds himself alone in a camp. He wanders around in the woods for some reason until he finds a small pool of water, whereupon he decides to try scrying again for some reason. He sees Brom riding Saphira and Roran sitting in a chair. And then he's like, lol, what if I tried scrying something I've imagined? JK, unless. So he scries the woman he dreamed and somehow she makes eye contact with him through the scry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Uh yeah. Yep. When Saphira and Brom return, he learns that they've been hunting down the Urgles that Aragon failed to kill so that they won't report back to their mysterious master. Brom is, as expected, incredibly upset with Aragon's decision-making and resolves to try to teach him some tactics and discretion as they move forward. By the end of the chapter, all three of them are feeling pretty unimpressed with each other, but especially with Aragon. That's that. It was very short compared to the first chapter. Yeah. Oh my god, the first chapter, I kept reading it, and I was like <laughs> writing the summary as I was going, and I was like, oh no, oh no, and then I had to just cut a bunch of the information out, because I was like, this is, I can't talk for this long, I can't have yeah. it be this long. The whole hour will just be Sam telling us what happened in the chapter. <laughs> uh-huh. It was a very info-dumpy chapter, which, like, grateful for, I needed to know some of this stuff, because I've just been like, what? This whole time? Now I have like, okay, I getcha, I gotcha. Except I don't remember who the Varden are at all. Have they been mentioned before? Yes, and every time they're mentioned, you say the same thing. <laughs> That's I love that for me. I love yeah, but that. They've, they've ne- well, they've never been like explained. Like no, nobody, okay, that seems until better. This moment, nobody's talked about what they are. <laughs> yeah, in the in the previous chapters, we find out that they're like some kind of rebel group that Brom knows about but that's all we've known about them until now i mean i only read that like a week ago i should have remembered (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate that we finally get all this information and brahm explains that like the reason that he hasn't told aragon any of this is that like oh by knowing what's going on aragon is in more danger and this is such like a common thing yeah but Mm -hmm. like in this specific case, there's no good reason. Yeah, like, I understand Brahm's reasoning that Aragon is in an extremely precarious position between these, like, mega powers in this continent and just, like, has no idea. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely safer for him to not be involved in any of that for as long as possible. But I don't really understand the logic behind not telling him any of it. Unless Brom thinks he's going to, like, run off and join the Empire in the middle of the night or something. That's what I was thinking, because, like, the only way Mm. it makes sense is if, like, it would make sense if Aragon was like, wow, I hate the Empire. They should, you know, if only there was something I could do and being, like, super rash about it. Yeah. Because then, like, oh, well, then if he knew about the Varden, he might run off and join them without learning. Because Brom says he needs to learn how to, like, fight and defend himself. Because mm-hmm. the Varden will just, like, immediately send him out to do shit that will probably get him killed. Yeah. And so I get that. But, like, Aragon specifically has spent this whole time being like, yeah, I just kind of want to kill the Razak for revenge. And then, you know, I'd love to just live in a normal town. <laughs> like, yeah. He doesn't, he's never once been like, and I'm going to join this war. Yeah. So, is, yeah. Is Brom pulling, like, the whole... Dumbledore thing where like he just thinks that he's like automatic like because in 
in the fifth Harry Potter book, Dumbledore, like, basically, like, alienates Harry because he's, like, he thinks that he'll just, like, turn over to Voldemort or, like, if he looks into his eyes, he'll see Voldemort and, like, doesn't trust him at all. And I'm, like, is Brom doing, like, the same thing? Like, does he just think because Aragorn's, like, young and a rider that he's just gonna automatically be drawn to Galbatorix and the Empire? Well, I don't know. Yeah, or maybe it, in the same vein, it's Brom protecting the Varden a little bit because he mentions yeah. that he is allied with them. Yeah. Um, and like that's kind of the side of this whole thing that he supports. And we don't have a ton of knowledge on like the more sophisticated uses of magic in this world, but it stands to reason that Galbatorix probably has some kind of like mind reading, hypnotic sort of power. Yeah. Like he managed to get shuriken like under his thumb which is yeah a wild thing so it could be partially that brahm doesn't want Arag aragon aragon to know anything <laughs> about the varden in case aragon is captured by the empire that's an excellent point he doesn't say anything to that effect so that's just me trying to justify this <laughs> yeah I mean... and like it still doesn't explain why he didn't talk about this dichotomy first you know yeah like that the Empire and the Varden are going to be fighting over who gets Aragon, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been very bold of him to take this dragon rider who clearly from this chapter, the Empire and the Varden at least both know that there is an egg out somewhere if they didn't outright know that the egg has hatched and there is a new dragon rider. It's very bold of Brom to assume that he by himself can both keep Aragon and Saphira in the dark about everything that's happening around them and also protect them from all of these different forces that are at work vying yeah. for their loyalty. We've already seen, like, in Tyrm, Aragon just wandered off and started talking to somebody. You know, yeah. like, Brom isn't able to be watching Aragon all the time and, like, policing his every move and thought and person he talks to, also mm -hmm. because that would be bad. <laughs> Yeah, that would be <laughs> And yeah. so, like, there could have been an opportunity for someone to just be like, oh, yeah, oh, you should join the Empire. And Brom would just never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. He's not really doing Aragon much good by, like, not giving him kind of the heads up that he needs to be prepared. Yeah. Because, like you said, someone could very easily have just, like, struck up a friendly conversation with him, made friends with him in Tyrm. And just, like, casually dropped, like, the Varden thing until they managed to, like, get Aragon on board with whatever this guy's ideals were, right? Like, Aragon doesn't yeah. know he needs to be aware of people trying to use him. Yeah. Because yeah. he, like, okay, it's kind of wild. He specifically is like, oh, it's incomprehensible to him that so many people could be interested in him and Sephira. Yeah. And I'm like, A... Th that doesn't make any sense that you would think that B <laughs> like yeah if he doesn't understand that like he is a key piece mm -hmm. then yeah he's not going to be suspicious of strangers or like he's going to take people at face value yeah yeah well and he's like never really left Carvajal before right yeah and he's 15 yeah, <laughs> yeah it's very like Again, Luke Skywalker, it's just like this protected farm boy who doesn't really know anything about the rest of the universe who suddenly becomes like a major player in it. It's like you need to give him the information so that he can protect himself. <laughs> yeah. But like we have seen it time and time again in fantasy where like the mentors just don't prepare the young teenager yeah. properly. Like, and yeah. it ultimately leads to character development later on. But at the same time, I would love to just see like for once the wizard mentor character <laughs> actually be helpful so the main character doesn't yeah. need to go to therapy imagine oh you gosh. read a fantasy book where the main character like gets found by this <laughs> mystical tutor at age 15 but then does not start the adventure until he's like 30 and he's like fully right? trained <laughs> exactly solid in his mental yeah. health he and his dragon fully on the same page yeah never can have a miscommunication <laughs> Like, we yeah. so often, like, so so often there is, like, a prophecy that alludes to a chosen one. I know not in this specific example. Yeah, I guess it's kind of been, like, undertone, like, alluded to because his name is the same as the first dragon rider, right? Yeah. But usually in these situations, you have a prophecy, and usually it's kind of pretty obvious who the prophecy is talking about. So why mm -hmm. the f*** do we keep these people in hiding? 
Or like, yeah. I get, I get letting them have a childhood, but it's like, let them have their childhood. They're 15, 16, which in fantasy land is you're basically an adult. <laughs> <laughs> like go prepare them instead of sending out these kids that haven't been, I, yeah, I'm just mad now. I'm going to stop <laughs> all the head. <laughs> the older I get, reading especially like YA fantasy but just kind of in mm-hmm. general the more I get frustrated by the lack of like competent adults yeah right these kinds of stories like I'm like really there's no need for a teenager to have to be the one to save the world like they yeah. none Ugh. <laughs> no none whatsoever no like Brom should be giving Aragon as much information as possible trusting that like he's going to be able to deal with it and that he needs to know it rather than kind of holding things back and only giving it out piecemeal. Yeah. yeah. We do get all of this information in this chapter, but Brom still doesn't tell Aragon like who everybody involved is. He doesn't tell Aragon how or why he got involved in any of this or how or why he knows anything that he does. I feel yeah. like it's pretty obvious at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I also know, so it's I have a bit of a skewed perspective. <laughs> But yeah, like he's still holding back things that could be very important for Aragon to know. If, for example, if anything were to happen to Brahm, like maybe these Urgles. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But seriously. And like back to my point where I was saying in a lot of medieval fantasy, especially, which I'm considering this is very European medieval fantasy based. Yes. A lot of the time, 15, 16 is considered an adult because people at that time were only living to like what 30 40 so it's like why why are we still treating him like a child even though he is very much acting like a child or a teenager i should say but it's like at this point you should be trying to get him to the point where he should be so educating him like telling him these things giving him proper mentorship because proper mentorship, everybody, is very important <laughs> in the development of a young person's mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, to support your point, they did say, I believe in the first or second chapter of this book, that yeah. in Carvajal, at least, 16 is considered an adult. So Aragon yeah. is on the cusp of adulthood in his society. Yeah, like, and like, usually in these books too, because normally I'm reading from a female protagonist, like, usually at this point they're getting married off, or like, the the, the yeah. boys have jobs already, or like, that's it. That's the age at which, like, you're basically entering society, so it's, it's not really an excuse for Brom to still be che- treating him like a child, and I, I've said it many times, I just don't like Brom. He's a very <laughs> bad mentorship, and maybe it triggers me, bad mentorship, bad mentor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine why that would bother you. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm just triggered. I don't know, but... Ugh. I mean, to counteract that, in the same chapter, Aragon also does see a stream, try to jump over it, falls and breaks his wrist. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is, is a point. Which is a very 15-year-old thing to do. <laughs> Maybe if he had better mentorship up until this point... <laughs> And like <laughs> you wouldn't try and jump across the stream and immediately fall over. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I Aragon, he totally would. <laughs> he yeah. definitely would. Okay, fair point. <laughs> well, there was an interesting, mildly interesting dragon biology related to that moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which was, I mean, it's not really interesting dragon biology moment. Uh, so, so Aragon <laughs> jumps over a river stream. Whatever, not a, a stream, whole river. I think. That's pretty yep. big. <laughs> a creek. He jumps over it and then immediately falls over and breaks his wrist. And <laughs> Saphir's like, "Ah, I'll come get you." And he's like, "No, no, no. You won't be able to fit through the trees with your wings." Uh-huh. So, this is important for, you know, where the dragons might be naturally located. Mm-hmm. I guess they aren't really forest dwelling, huh? <laughs> I guess not. I guess I, not. Yeah, I would assume no. <laughs> no. You're if you're gonna if you can't make it between trees because your <laughs> wings are a hundred feet long, I'm guessing you don't belong in a forest. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's one of those like crazy old growth forests, but like sized up for fantasy. Yeah, Maybe. like one of those Maybe. uh what are they? Se- sequoia? Sequoia? Yeah. Yeah. The t- the redwoods, you know. <laughs> the big you know, trees. Those ones. Yeah. yeah. I found an 
interesting part of dragon biology in this chapter that wasn't that. I think, yeah. Yeah, which is at the beginning of the chapter when they leave Tyrim, Aragon immediately calls Saphira and like jumps off, jumps on her back and they hang out for a while. And they're both very excited about it. And Saphira bugles. Oh. <laughs> the only animal call in like real life that is described as a bugle is a bull elk. Oh. Which oh. is an absolutely bonkers sound. I'll see if I can like find a clip to stick in here. It sort of sounds like if a loon was gargling a chainsaw. Oh god. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it kind of covers the whole range from, like, a whistle down to what you might associate as, like, a growl. That's wild. So we have that as something that Saphira apparently does. Or she actually sounds like a bugle. <laughs> of is like Parasaurolophus the like what <laughs> the, the dinosaur that has like that crest oh the crest okay the tube crest like in line before time like time. ducky yeah like ducky oh ducky okay. <laughs> yeah you know Parasaurolophus <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think I don't know if it's like fully I don't think I don't think it's proven obviously you can't necessarily prove these things uh -huh. But, like, one thought is that that crest is used to, like, produce sound, like, or amplify yeah. sound, like a yeah. resonating chamber. So maybe she's got something like that. <laughs> yeah, I did try to also look up, like, dinosaur vocalizations, and I don't know enough about any of this. Yeah. But a lot of what I was seeing was also, nobody knows very much about this, but there is a current theory that a lot of them were, like, closed mouth vocalizations. Yeah. which tend to be a lot deeper and travel farther, which would yeah. be good for if you're a bunch of dragons flying around. An example of that, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, are those crocodilian bellows that we were <laughs> getting a little horny about during Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> the Twilight era was a weird era. Was a yeah, this one's era. totally normal. Nothing weird here. Uh, but that would yep. be very interesting as a potential dragon vocalization. There's always, like, the thing... I think there's been a couple recent things where people are like, oh, dinosaurs, based on their throat structure and stuff like that, probably sounded like... like ducks. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, that family, like, ducks and geese. Just, like, so... a real deep honk. <laughs> yeah. So. Also, but, you know, amazing. Also great, if you think about it. I yeah. just remember one time I saw someone make an art, <laughs> make a comic, mm -hmm. I guess, of like a raptor, but like having sound mimicking. And it was just like the most <laughs> terrifying image because it was like, as imagine this, but in Jurassic Park and you're just like in the forest and there's like something mimicking human voices out oh in my the trees. Anyway. Oh my God. Especially if for some reason, if they did it in like a parakeet voice. You're still oh like, God, hello! And you turn around and it's a whole ass velociraptor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah! It's okay, velociraptors were like turkey sized. Don't yeah. even worry about it. Wait, actually? A turkey could kill me yeah. if it wanted to, especially if it had serrated claws like a dragon. <laughs> yeah. Damn. I mean, I there so were bigger ones. Like, I think Utah Raptor and... Yeah, that was a big one, eh? I think there were bigger ones, but... Velociraptor specifically. It was just a little guy. Just a little guy. While we're talking about winged dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. So there's a moment where Saphira comes down out of the clouds. <laughs> and bugling. Bugling. This was before. <laughs> Sorry, I know. <laughs> yeah, she has a trumpet and she's just doing a cool song. And it says, the sun shone behind the thin membranes. Yeah. So I feel like we've assumed she has, like, bat-like wings. 
Yes. But yeah. I think this is the first time where it specifically says like membranous wings. Uh, I can't remember. With veins. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's like they're translucent and silhouetted, silhouetting the dark veins. So anyway, I don't think I've mentioned this before, which is <laughs> absolutely insane because it's my favorite dinosaur. But she probably has wings like Yi Chi, which Excuse is... Me? Yeah, so there was this, this there was this dinosaur discovered in 2015, I think, that has bat wings. Oh, okay. is that that like yeah. famous fossil or not? Yeah, it was I think like I know which one. Yeah, it's famous, but also you probably you guys probably heard me yell about it a lot. I was so excited about Yichi that I had the date of the paper public, like the, that the paper was published, saved in my calendar. so i could remember it every year (laughs) okay it was exciting like he's got like feathers and then Uh he's got like bat wings coming out of the feathered wings yeah i I know exactly which one this is yeah i have no idea what you're talking about let me just try to google this when you see it hannah you'll know it's oh this thing Yeah, yeah that guy oh it's so cute yeah and then in um so that was like the first one ever found with that and they don't have like so bird wings essentially are like all their fingers are basically like fused together and then the feathers come like down out of the fingers and the hand and the arm the forearm that's how their wings are formed okay and with bats right it's like the extended fingers open up and that's how they make the bat wing and in yi in yi chi it's like the three first fingers are still kind of like fused but elongated Mm -hmm. and then they have like this bar coming out of their wrist that probably like holds the membrane open interesting yeah and in 2019 a second species or i guess a new genus called ambopteryx was also found to have like these bat-like wings cool yeah which is fun. Yeah. That <laughs> is and fun. so like they are, you know, they are reptiles. They're not birds yet. <laughs> They're still yeah. like dinosaurs. So this could be sort of the kind of wing that Saphira has or like an evolutionary path. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of the things that I liked about this explicit description of how Saphira's wings have these translucent thin membranes is later in the chapter when they have a frankly kind of hilarious miscommunication and Aragon tells Saphira to protect Brahm and she doesn't explain to Brahm why she has suddenly like pounced (laughs) on him and ensconced him in her wings the way she has decided to protect him is to like make a tent around him with her wings which is an amazing image like I love the visual of that Mm -hmm. Except I feel like her wings are probably, like, the least protective part yeah. of her. Yep. <laughs> like, they're just these, like, you. the sun makes them translucent. They're yeah. so thin. Yeah. They're so thin. Because they gotta, you know, fold up and stuff. Yeah. Not... Oh, funny. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was such a good scene. It's like, uh. <laughs> I don't know if we mentioned this. I'm skipping forward a little bit. But like when Aragon breaks his wrist, it's because he's jumping over to look at a track and realizes that it is the track of an Urgle boot, which he recognizes from Yazuak. And he's like, oh my god, Saphira, there are Urgles here. Protect Brahm, I'm coming back. So he like comes back. Saphira is diligently protecting Brahm and almost <laughs> takes Aragon's head off. With her tail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she's like, or he's like, ah, you almost killed me. And she just goes, oops. <laughs> and brahm is in there like what's going on your stupid dragon won't let go of me (laughs) yeah oh my god and like that is the first time of many times that just nobody tells anybody anything yeah in this chapter like yeah oh it's so infuriating oh my god is it infuriating like Uh yep like, Saphira, in this specific instance, Saphira doesn't tell Brahm why she's protecting him. And yeah. it's like... Well, it or take, that Aragorn's like, hurt himself. Or that Aragorn's hurt. Like, it would take two seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, clearly Arag- clearly Brahm... Brahm's like, oh, she won't listen to me. So clearly Brahm is talking to Saphira. But Saphira isn't like, oh, Aragorn saw an Urgle footprint. 
It's yeah. Like, what the f- well, Aragon and Brom have talked to each other mind to mind before. Like Aragon could also yeah. have told him himself. Yeah. Why don't people communicate? Yeah, Why? and then when Aragon is like passed out to jump ahead again. Sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> when Aragon's passed out, Safira and Brom are out like quote unquote cleaning up the mess he made by not <laughs> murdering all these Urgles. Uh-huh. And Safira doesn't once mention that the Urgles already knew who Aragon was. Yeah. Which is pretty important. <laughs> it's yep. been two days. Yeah. And also Aragon is awake by himself with no idea where anyone else is for hours. He doesn't reach out to her and she doesn't reach out to him to be like, hey, yeah, what's up? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's a little odd. And like, yeah, it's just there's so much like Aragon also doesn't tell Brom at the beginning that he met a werecat. You know, he just like True, he yeah. starts asking yeah. Brom what a werecat is. But doesn't say anything about it. And then, yeah, Brahm's not telling Aragon the whole story. Like, these chapters are just like, oh my god, just talk to each other. I cannot handle. <laughs> no, me neither. It drives me bonkers. <laughs> Have you uh, read Winter's Orbit yet? I'm guessing no. not. <laughs> no. Damn no, it. Fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Oh no. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just so infuriating (laughs) like i can understand a miscommunication trope to a point like if it's one time right and it's like Mm -hmm. something but this this book is just constant miscommunication to further the plot but like a lot of it doesn't even help the plot a lot of it is just useless like yeah 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 like there's no reason that like you said sophie brahm should have come back from spending two days hunting with Safira and not have known what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, they're specifically hunting the Urgles that talked yeah. to Aragon, and so Saphira should have been like, oh, yeah, they, like, he knows that they talked to him. Like, yeah. she told him almost everything, apparently. Yeah. yeah. And then the other infuriating one is that Aragon doesn't tell Saphira what his plan is when he sends her down to talk to the Urgles. Yeah. Like, we establish in this chapter that Sephira can send images. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, Sephira sends an image to Aragon of her tearing apart the forest to come get him when he breaks his wrist. So, like, mm-hmm. he's like, hey, land in front of the Urgles. And she's like, what? And he's like, I know what I'm doing. Don't, there isn't time for me to explain. Go. Oh, yeah. And it's like, there is time. Because mm-hmm. she has to dive down. So you could be like, here's what's happening. You know what stuff like this makes me think of, though? Because you know how, I think we've talked about this before, how, like, some people think, like, constantly, like, have a constant monologue, and some people just don't have an inner monologue at all. Because, like, if I put myself in this situation, I would be, like, my brain would be racing so fast that, like, I feel like everything would just go right to Sephira if that's, like, how Aragorn's brain works. But maybe it's just that Aragorn's brain doesn't have that constant inner dialogue so like he has to actually like think thoughts i don't know is this making any sense yeah (laughs) because it's like i feel like my brain goes at like a hundred times speed right like if something's happening i have like a constant thought process going on like constantly switching between like different thoughts or whatever but if someone doesn't have that inner monologue like to actually like think a thought at something probably would be a big distraction for them Yeah, I find when I'm in sort of crisis situations like that, I have an extremely difficult time articulating what I know I need to do, because I don't think in words a lot of the time. Yeah. So, like, I've been in situations where someone would ask me what they need to do, and I just, like, I can't figure out how to make the words because I'm too panicked about the thing that's happening. Like, I have a very, in the fight, flight, freeze thing, I'm very Mm. much freeze- where everything just kind of stops and then I have to focus all my energy into like either one action, like either thinking, talking, doing. Yeah. So I I have historically had a very difficult time articulating in an emergency or surprise situation. So it could be that Aragon has a similar kind of reaction where it's just like, nope, go. Like I can only, I can't, I can't explain what I need to do. Just go. Yeah. Maybe. I feel like that's being kind of generous though. (laughs) Well, I think it makes sense though, because it's like, 
See, I have the similar where it's like, I usually can't articulate verbally what I need, but in my brain, I'm constantly, I'm going through like, I need to do this, I need to do this, 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 and this, but like to say it out loud is a big effort for me, but in my brain, I know exactly what needs to happen, I know exactly what I need to do, and like, I focus in on it, but to verbally articulate it, I wouldn't be good, so that's like, if someone was directly in my mind, it would be a lot easier to like, figure out a crisis situation so I feel like Aragon's more along your lines Hannah where it's just like he can't articulate and so it's just like yeah Safira doesn't know what to do (laughs) the only thing is that it's in this chapter I I don't know where it is but there's Mm -hmm. a part where he says like when they're mentally connected it's impossible to keep anything from her yeah like, yeah. like he specifically says that yeah but it also seems that projecting mm-hmm. it's something he has to like actively do yeah mm-hmm. but then on in other moments like Safira knew he broke his wrist the instant he did it you know like mm-hmm. like it's just weird <laughs> yeah it's very strange that Safira didn't know his intention yeah and I think it's just there's not much logic to the mind reading i found the part okay it's when aragon was riding safira and then he's like oh do you mind if i get back on the horse Mm -hmm. and then it says like he had decided to question brahm further about his past and then safira says no but tell me what he says and it was aragon was not surprised that safira knew his plans it was nearly possible to hide anything from her when they were mentally linked and so like yeah it doesn't make sense that she wouldn't know what his plan was yeah that's, I'm inclined to a, think that this is poor writing more than anything yeah. else, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, there's no reason she shouldn't have known his intention. I think you could explain it with the whole, like, thinks in full sentences, doesn't think, like, that whole thing. But with what you brought up, Sophie, like, he hasn't established that. It is just, yeah, yeah poor writing. <laughs> yeah. like why wouldn't she know we can try to make sense of it as much as we would like but like i think it does ultimately just come down to pelini did not think this through because it sort of reads that like okay well by this logic safira did know but then she's pretending she did it so that aragon gets all the heat and she doesn't get any of it and it's like well that. (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, between two teenagers, that is not yeah. an uncommon thing to happen. Well, like, no. well and I, she's so arrogant. Oh, yeah. so arrogant. Yeah, so I would totally believe that. They're Me trying too. to make Safira into this, like, oh, wise elder, you know, who's, like, teaching <laughs> no. Aragon stuff. And it's like, I would I would have almost liked this scene more if they both got into sh- with Brom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Safira doesn't have to be infallible to be, like a good dragon (laughs) like dragons don't have to be infallible i mean i said it before she she has her problems (laughs) (laughs) you mentioned dumbledore earlier i feel like this is kind of the same kind of thing where dumbledore is presented in the books as this like Mm -hmm. almost like infallible mystical like perfect leader of a person when he's clearly not and it seems like we're kind of getting the same thing we're like it seems like the intention is to portray her as like a very smart, wise, capable mm-hmm. ancient being when yeah. really it would probably be both more interesting and more accurate if they like kind of lean into the fact that she is like a shitty, arrogant teenager who yeah. thinks that like yep. because she has whatever dragon knowledge and because she's the only dragon in the world or whatever that like she thinks she's the shit, but she's not. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Because then you could get into her growth of like, oh, something terrible happens and she like gets humbled and has to grow from it, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Or like Dragon doubles down. character development just as much as the teenage boy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway, speaking of poor communication, I realized we all kind of like <laughs> about the Urgle scene without actually explaining what happened. Oh. Um, so maybe, <laughs> maybe we should do that. Maybe. Yeah. Aragon finds this Urgle track, gets back to Brahm and Safira, almost gets decapitated, and then tells Brahm what's going on. And Brahm says, like, okay, pack up. We got to leave. They're probably hunting us. We got to go. Aragon rides on Safira because Brahm says he'll be safer there. 
And they kind of try to outrun these, it sounds like, two hunting parties of Urgles until one of them is on the verge of overtaking Brahm and the horses. And Aragon decides, like, get down there. We need to protect Brahm. Like, go land in front of them. He has this confrontation with the Urgles. They tell him that their master wants to speak with him. Aragon is like paraphrasing F- you and your master and then tries to kill them with magic or tries to throw them with magic pardon me he actively does not try to kill him and that's when he passes out mm-hmm. so he has this like whole conversation with the Urgles of like they want him to come with them because their master is like the ruler of all of the skies or whatever and Aragon's like nah <laughs> <laughs> but it's very clear that the Urgles know exactly who he is and it's very clear that they're working for someone powerful so that's yeah. That's where a lot of our ire came from, Re, yes. Brahm, and Safira not talking to each other for two days. <laughs> yeah. It's also like, again, it's just one of those things that's like, isn't this obvious? Like, they're like, gosh, yeah. I wonder who's running the Urgles. Could be anybody. And yeah. then Brahm specifically is like, well, you insulted them. Congratulations. You just made enemies <laughs> with one of the most powerful beings in Allegasia. It's like, okay, so you suspect enemy. it's Galbatorix, right? Like, <laughs> like. I wonder if this is like Aragon being sort of an uninformed, unreliable narrator where Brom clearly mm. knows that the Urgles yeah. are working for Galbatorix and maybe Aragon just hasn't put it together. True. But yeah, but Brom is like, oh, they have some sort of leader now, huh? And then the next sentence, congratulations, you just <laughs> yeah. made enemies. <laughs> like, who? <laughs> yeah, good point. Also, Brom assumes it's a him and I just... Sir, Everybody in this book is be. a man. Oh yeah, that's so, true. Everybody so in Allegasia is a man. So <laughs> far, Angela. The only female characters have been Gertrude the Healer, Angela the Witch, and Helen the. <laughs> <who's> like, <laughs> she's married and to Joad, and yes, yes. Uh, but like, there's been three scenes with Helen so far, and in all three of them, all she does is glare at Joad and be really mad at Brahm and Aragon for existing in her house. That's yeah, all she's done. That's true. Yeah. It's like, it's weird. It's so weird. She's like, so, again, like, bitchy for no reason. Yeah. And none of them have yeah. talked to each other. No. It's almost like they're having bad communication. Yeah, imagine. <laughs> almost like that. Miscommunication? Yeah. Oh, we don't know her. Nah. No. no. Can you imagine uh, that a 15-year-old boy would write a book that like hinges on poor communication like weird <laughs> i'm so shocked so shocked i uh, the second chapter when so after this all happens aragon passes mm-hmm. out and the chapter ends obviously and then oh, the next yeah. chapter starts when he wakes up i obviously the first sentence because like he falls he passes out in safira's claws no he so he passes out while he's riding on her and falls off of her and then she picks him up <laughs> Oh, yeah. I had to read so, that a couple I missed, times. I yeah. missed that. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Wait. Yeah, no, I thought oh, she just picked him up. <laughs> I thought at the end, because, yeah, oh, I thought at the end, because it says Safira took off again, I thought it meant that Aragon was still being carried. <laughs> yeah. When he tries to do magic at the Urgles, he super overextends himself and passes out and falls off of Safira, and she kills some Urgles and then picks him up and flies away. But then it says she landed. Aragon was dimly aware of Brom talking with her. A decision must have been made because Safira took off again. And oh, okay. then he passes out. So okay. is she still carrying him or does she and Brom leave at that point? I think she's probably going to like get something. Okay. Mm. Anyway, that's not the part I was going to yes. talk about. Because <laughs> so the chap- yeah, chapter ends and then he wakes up. So he's like either just deposited on the ground or in Safira's claws. Either doesn't matter. But then when Aragon wakes up, it's like Aragon twisted under the blankets, reluctant to open his eyes. And I was immediately like, they're in Rivendell. Like, like <laughs> they, they've done it. <laughs> this yeah. is he wakes up in the elf town. <laughs> oh, I didn't even put that together. Damn it. Yeah, I didn't think that. Yeah, but then they weren't. They were in a camp no. and nobody was there. No, no. Oh, but okay, I, yeah, for true. one second, I, I was like, there for a minute. What happened? Me? Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I had a difficult time putting together through the whole chapter that maybe one of you picked up something I missed is I don't know where Saphira's saddle is. 
Because at the beginning of the chapter, when Saphira like bugles and dives down from the sky, or sorry, she dives down from the sky, gets Aragon, and then bugles. He's riding her bareback. And it doesn't tear up his legs, but maybe that's just because it's a few hours. That's not important. (laughs) But yeah, he's riding her bareback, and then it's mentioned both there and then earlier when they were talking about the saddle in previous chapters that like the saddle has leg straps to keep you attached to your dragon when you can't hold on like with your arms or something yeah which also means that aragon is not in the saddle when uh they're being chased by the urgles because he falls off of her when he passes out yeah so where is why did they take it off like yeah (laughs) why doesn't she just have it on all the time yeah, because either she has to carry it or one of the horses has to carry it, right? Yeah, so why not yeah. just put it on her? Maybe yeah. it's, like, attached to, like, her hind leg somehow or something, or, like... But then it or, would or be, the like, flapping it? in the wind, yeah. Yeah, like, if it's going to be put anywhere, the most, like, efficient place to put it would be on Saphira's back where it's supposed to be, because it's built to fit there comfortably and to stay on. And if yeah. she's like the size of a house or whatever size she is now, yeah. like that yeah. saddle is huge. That yeah, it's going to be on a horse. Like no, and they'd have to like roll it up that. or something. Like yeah, they'd have to do something with it to put it on a horse, which so would make weird. zero sense. Yeah, and they would also have to do something with it for Safira to carry it without wearing it, which doesn't make sense because she could just wear it. I get that with like horses and stuff, you're not supposed to like leave them in their tack all the time. No, but, but given this situation and circumstance, yeah, and like chances are the horses would. have been wearing the saddles like during the full traveling day, and they also have people on them. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think you're supposed to like keep your horses kind of always tacked up when you're traveling because you could have to run at any yeah. moment's notice. So it's like you always kind of have to have them ready, and then once they're back at a stable, yeah, you take all their tack off, but. That makes no sense. I I think we have just another example of bad writing, and I feel like the saddle will probably just show up randomly yeah. without any explanation. Like I, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily bad writing because he specifically mentions that it's not there. Okay, yeah, fair. I think it's just a case of like he wants Aragon to be able to fall off of Safira, you know, like yeah. oh, like yeah. he has to fall off when he passes out for the drama so yeah right like it's the exact same thing with like he broke his wrist so that he wouldn't be able to fight the urgles with a sword right like yeah the the only reason he broke his wrist is for this one specific plot point and i bet it's going to heal up extremely quickly and perfectly 100 (laughs) percent. yeah like as soon as they're done they're in the next chapter like yeah yeah like i could see with the urgles scene i'm still talking about the saddle (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah he did have to, like, jump on her and get up and away really fast. So, like, maybe there's something, maybe the saddle is so complicated that he, like, can't strap in easily in the air and would have to, like, do it yeah. on the ground. Or, like, maybe he's not very practiced at it yet. So he just, like, jumped on the saddle and was just sitting on it and didn't strap in. And that's why he was yeah. able to fall off. That's, yeah. That still doesn't explain where the saddle was when he was riding her bareback earlier in the same chapter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't have his legs torn up. A fun yeah. moment about that, which you you I think talked about a bit earlier. <laughs> but she like it's a so she bugles and then yes. she soars in a great loop, and yeah. Aragon doesn't fall off because of centrifugal force. But like it doesn't specify the loop she does. So like if she loops up, then it's like a roller coaster, right? And you're like pressed in he's pressed into her but if she like dives down Aragon would just be like flung off yeah (laughs) like because at first it was just like she sorted a great loop and it's like wow I can't believe I fell off and I was like you should have (laughs) I also like that Aragon says wow I can't believe I didn't fall off and Sophia's like yeah "Yeah, me neither and I'm like you're just gonna fling him off your back you're so excited to see him you're gonna fling him into space you were gonna <laughs> murder him by launching him into the stratosphere. Like, yeah. That's not really a great. It's like when dogs are so excited to see a person that they like punch them right in the punch guts. Them. Yeah, 
like we've already established i get okay this is actually a problem that we also need to touch on she has serrated claws if yeah Mia falling and her grabbing him would be bad news yeah <laughs> it would tear him in half which is also when she's carrying him when he's passed out also yeah. bad <laughs> yeah he somehow still has uh, presumably at least most of his skin <laughs> yeah i mean two days will heal you right up yeah also <laughs> does brahm not know any healing magic that he could yeah. teach to aragon or Safira to heal his broken wrist yeah i guess not Probably it seems like that seems like something that you should be able to do especially like if he's able to set it in a splint it's not like he has to rearrange things he just has yeah. to you know encourage bone to grow faster right <laughs> don't worry that'll be the next chapter yeah true they might learn uh, how to do that later yeah yep. maybe it just takes a lot of energy and aragon doesn't have that yet Urgles, yeah yeah or i have a i have a sneaking suspicion because the only healer we've seen has been a female so far correct oh we gotta wait yeah. until another girl shows up that's what <laughs> That's what my Healing vibe magic is, is gendered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. Sure. It's very Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Only women can learn hey, how to heal. <laughs> maybe Paulini will prove heal. me wrong, but so far his only female characters he's written have been f- very stereotypically written. So. I mean, other than Angela, n- none of them have gotten more than, like, a line. So exactly. Yeah. It's hard to say. Saphira doesn't count because she's a dragon. Yeah, no, she yeah. doesn't count. <laughs> and she, uh, like, we were talking about her lack of character development so far. She's, like, half a character, half a plot device. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> her personality changes as it needs to. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it'll solidify. I mean, she is still only like six months old. A baby. A baby. An infant. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Should we talk about this scrying thing? I was just about to say that. I kind of wanted to. Let's real quick. We'll real quick talk about the scrying. I listen. After Twilight, I love that there were actual rules to the scrying and they were stuck to. (laughs) Yes. True. Until, <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> until he scries the hot girl that he saw in his dream and oh, was able to see all of her Hannah. surroundings, <laughs> even though he's never seen any of the places that she's been, she's in. See, but he saw them in his vision, so count? he has seen them. But see, the problem is, is that then the vision doesn't make sense because the vision yeah. breaks the rules. <laughs> yeah, but it's his soulmate, guys. It just makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's a soulmate. <laughs> No, what was what I found interesting was that you can only see the target of what you're scrying, provided that you have seen it before. Yeah, I like it. And so, yeah, it was like a bit weird that when he tries to find Safira, he also sees Brom. Well, he's seen Brom before. Yeah, but he's yeah. not looking for Brom. He's physically touching her, though. Well, like my understanding of that was, um, he sees. Like, he's looking for Saphira, so he can see Saphira, and he can see things around Saphira that he has seen before, was kind of how I interpreted it. Okay. And because Brahm is with Saphira, he can see him also. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, because he, like, then looks for Rorin and can't see anything <laughs> except for Rorin. Who is sitting in an invisible chair, which is a yeah. delightful mental image. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing, like... The most hardcore squat. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Looking so relaxed in that squat. <laughs> I mean, apparently he has new lines on his face. So oh, yes. Roran's definitely being held prisoner somewhere. He's going through it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or he's, you know, having a hard time because his father died, his house burned down, and his cousin, who is basically his brother, is just missing. Yeah. Is this a thing where everyone thinks Aragon did it? Is that what's happening? Do you think people are doing that? Oh, maybe. Maybe. You know, probably, because it's a classic. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. And then, yeah. he Okay, there was also the wildest line before he scries his girlfriend, his dream girlfriend. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Where he's like, his like lead up to trying to scry his vision is like, what if I tried to scry something I created with my imagination or saw in a dream? 
perhaps I'd be shown what my own consciousness looks like. <laughs> what the f*** does that mean? <laughs> yeah. what, is, what is that sentence? <laughs> Literally, like, what? 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 Have you seen that before, Aragon? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, does he mean his soul? Like, his ghost? What? Or, like, his brain? Like, is it gonna yeah. show him his brain? <laughs> it's so it's such a wild sentence yeah i saw a tweet the other day that was like the gist of it was you shouldn't be stressed about things because you are just electrical meat and that's crazy yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah was aragon expecting to see something physical or metaphysical yeah was he trying to see the meat or the electricity? He's like Ba or whatever the Egyptian, ancient Egyptian thing is. Sure, <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm going to view my, the parts of my soul. So crazy. I don't even know what. No. It would be fun to be able to like replay a dream when you're awake and can like <sighs> conceptualize all of the weird shit that happened. I had a great dream last night that I would love to watch again. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, this was amazing. It was about D&D and even in the wow. dream after it ended, I was like, that was, I like woke up from the dream into another dream because that happens to me all the time. And I was like, that was the coolest dream I've ever had. I need to tell our DM. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. It is important. I know. I don't know what it is. Sometimes I just like have full high fantasy dreams. Like yeah. I'm just like, I am the chosen one and i've inherited a country and i have magic now and it's like what so good huh (laughs) i get ones where i discover that i could fly the whole time those are my favorite those are good ones anyway dreams damn oh no most of my most of my dreams are ones like oh you got shot and someone's chasing you but you have to just like figure it out and no one will help you hannah you need to stop like listening to true crime (laughs) Anyway, <laughs> I think we're, we're done talking about? about this chapter. Yeah. I don't know. Aragon sees a girl and she looks back at him and that will probably. Yeah. And then she that trembles and collapses limply. So, you know, just a regular woman. <laughs> but she looks at him while he's scrying. Like, what the yeah. hell? <laughs> How, what? How does that even work? Do his eyeballs appear? <laughs> like, did she like look along his like astral projection thread and was like, aha, magic yeah i mean like it's so so weird anyway i'm sure that will come up later oh yeah yeah but i think that's all the things i had to say Mm -hmm. so let's guess what's gonna happen next so the next two chapters are called master of the blade and the mire of drasliona so i mean i think we've already guessed the next one because uh, Aragon's wrist is going to somehow magically heal super fast and then he's going to become the master of his sword. Oh, uh, what if he has to fight with his left hand? Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, that's a classic. He has yeah. to learn how to fight with his left hand. Yeah. Or like he did say when he fell and broke his wrist, he was like, oh, I wish I had my sword because I can't use a bow one handed. So maybe because his wrist is broken, he's going to have to learn how to sword fight better. Is he going to just be magically ambidextrous? Yeah, I don't know which wrist was broken, actually. Me neither, but I assume it was his dominant hand, because that's usually the one you reach out with. Yeah. That's a good point. And I'm also assuming he's right-handed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're making a lot of assumptions. We are. Yeah. He broke one of his wrists, and he's going to have to sword fight with the other one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he's really good at it. Yeah. Yep. And then I'm assuming in the second one they go to maybe a mire in Drasliona. Yeah, near Drasliona. They're going to get to Drasliona real fast considering how long it took them to get to Tyrm. Oh my god, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, is fine. Like, the trip, it did drag on a little bit, their first trek to uh, Yazuak and Tyrm. Is it because Sephira was with them? (laughs) No, that was actually unintentional, but I like it. (laughs) Really dragged on with the dragon. (laughs) No, when he reacted, I was like, oh. It's like, geez, Sophia, like, why are you? Oh, I made a pun. (laughs) Oh, fun. Anyway, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we got it. Is a mire like a swamp? Yeah. Cool. Okay. I didn't know that. As the resident expert of various swamps. Of swamps. Yes, the swamp witch. (laughs) Yeah. Swamp witch Sophie. Swamp witch Sophie. 
great. Yeah, that's what's going to happen next. Oh, yeah. I was like, what do we do after that? <laughs> we talk, talk about, about what else we're reading. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been reading as much because I've been doing work that does not allow audiobooks. But I'm <laughs> currently reading a, I think I've mentioned it before, a nonfiction called The Art of Naming. It's a book about like scientific names and how they happen sometimes. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then I am also reading, um, or I just finished another Mercedes Lackey called <laughs> Phoenix and Ashes. I'm reading her whole Elemental Magic series, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't have anything to say okay. about them, though, so why don't you go, Sam? <laughs> My currently reading list is an absolute disaster, because I literally have a book on the go in every type of media, so the audiobook I'm currently listening to is Bones of the Past, which is the second uh, Forging Hephaestus <gasps> book by Drew Hayes. Oh yes, God, Sophie, I started it? listening to it. Wow! <laughs> and then on my Kindle, I'm reading a rom-com, which is A Lot Like Adios by Alexis Daria, who's the author of You Had Me at Ola, which was a popular book talk book for a while there. And then I'm physical slash audio. I started listening to Spinning Silver and had no freaking clue what was going on. So I'm going to try reading it in physical copy now and see how that goes for me. And yeah, and I finished one novella, which was Stuck With You by Allie Hazelwood, which is the second STEM novella in her series. And it was very cute. I recommend. So yeah, that's my chaotic currently reading list. Hannah? I listened to two audiobooks since we recorded last time and haven't started a new one yet, so I'm not currently listening to one. But I listened to Love and Other Disasters by Anita Kelly, which was a romance novel about a woman and a non-binary person who fall in love on a reality cooking show. It was pretty cute and a lot sexier than I was expecting it to be from the cover. <laughs> oh, damn. The cover made me think it was like a rom-com book, but it was just like a, a romance book. And I listened to The Near Witch by V.E. Schwab, which was her first novel, and it's been out of print for a while, and they like brought it back when she got super popular. And I know why it was out of print. <laughs> it was oh, not very good. Not that good? I bought nope, it. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it personally. Oh damn, okay. It was extremely generic YA, which mm. was kind of disappointing because it's V.E. Schwab and she's yeah. so good and so creative with her other work. Yeah. So I'm going to listen to whichever audiobook comes from the library next. We'll see <laughs> which one that is. Uh, but I finished A Close in Common Orbit, which I mentioned last time. That one's by Becky Chambers. And Sophie and Sam, you both told me that the ending was extremely good. And I agree. Mm -hmm. It was extremely good. And it made me cry. <laughs> right. Yeah. I liked it. it was I like, liked it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was such a good ending. It was so cute. <laughs> yeah, it was so cute. Uh, so I started the third one in that series, which is The Record of Spaceborn Few, but I'm only about a third of the way into that one because I got Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry and I had to read it. Yeah. Because <laughs> the tagline for that book is a novel of high fantasy and low stakes. And it's about an orc who retires from adventuring and mercenary work and opens up a coffee shop. And it's oh my God. so good. I love <laughs> that. It was that really cute. So good. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I definitely recommend it. It was very cute. So that's what I've been reading. I do have our April book for the Midlight Book Club on hold at the library, and it says it's available soon, so I'm hoping that's the one I get. And that one is Anxious People by Frederick Backman, which Sam recommended for us, and it sounds very interesting. And <laughs> the title alone, very on brand. <laughs> it's very on brand. It's not a fantasy, which is no. kind of refreshing for us in our book club because that's yeah. what we usually read. <laughs> is it also a standalone? How exciting. It is a standalone. Right? Can you imagine? Yeah. Wow. Well, not starting a new trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. We need that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we were when we were planning out like the first couple of months of our book club, we were like, okay, we're gonna try and branch out. We're looking for standalones. And then every single book we suggested was like, it's the first one of a duology. It's the first one of a trilogy. And we're like, F it fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think we did okay. Both our January and February books were standalones. 
Sorry, January, March. February yeah, is January, not March. Schedule. Yeah, I was like, February was Black Sun, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. I was like, I'm very I behind on our book club. I didn't mention it, but I am currently reading Black Sun. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, sorry. Our January and March and April are standalones. So yeah, and then nothing else. No more for <laughs> the rest of the year. <laughs> those are all the those are all the months of the year that we're going to talk about. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Listen. <laughs> Who doesn't like to start a new fantasy trilogy every single month? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. Listen, we got to stop picking books where the other books aren't out yet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna die. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we went on a really long aside about fantasy trilogies, but <laughs> if you liked this chapter of Midlight Crisis, consider rating and reviewing us on Spotify or your podcatcher of choice. You can talk to us and find fun-related content on social media. We are at Midlight Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and all chapters of the show thus far are available on our website, midlightpod.podbean.com, and on YouTube. And Brom has some words about how we feel when we read books this way. It's not as bad as I thought. It's worse. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much worse. So much worse. Do you think I would ever have noticed that Saphira's saddle was missing if we just read this book like a normal person? Absolutely not. (laughs) No. And yet. And yet, here we are. And yet.